You're listening to Red Nation Online. In the swinger, it's not bad. It's very nice. It's Perry Kitchen. It's DC United back in front by two goals to one. And as quickly as you like, the visitors are back in front. Free header for Kitchen. He made no mistake. While Kitchen is completely unmarked in between the zonal and the man for man, it's partial man for man. Sunday, July 6th, it's RNO's own Steve Botcher and I, Ian Clark, and we sat down the morning after to recover from a disappointing 2 1 loss at DC United. More possession, more chances, and more shots wasn't enough as DC cashed in their only two opportunities on goal. We look at the post World Cup TFC, keep this performance and result in perspective, lament on back to back games where the referee lacked the confidence to make the right call in the moment, and finally, wonder if Dwayne Di Rosario's role with the club now and going forward is that of merely a spectator. All this and more in the next 40 minutes on Eastside Stand Up. Here we are, Steve, the day after. And uh, I guess, you know, we've obviously had a game against new york and against chicago but it feels like it is really the first game back from the world cup break because we have pretty much all our players in except for uh cesar who of course has an asterisk next to his name because we're not really sure if he's going to come back most likely not first home game since uh early june you know off the top i think there's a lot of uh mixed emotions and mixed feeling about this result and how this game played out for me i mean obviously it's just it was a pretty pretty disappointing result uh i think toronto could have and should have had more. And uh, I don't think it's any any cause for panic, but uh, there's definitely lots to discuss with this game. Yeah, I think you hit it on the nail the nail on the head there. Not a lot of cause for panic. Um, I think they they played well in certain aspects of the game. Other aspects of, of the game, they, they didn't play well. I, I don't know the exact uh, stats off the top of my head, but I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the... Uh, possession numbers were drastically uh you know in tfc's favor after that game and it, you know it sets up a strange uh a, a strange situation where before they were getting badly outpossessed but people were happy with the way that they were uh they were grinding out results and you know over these last three games since the break they've come out and they've actually moved the ball very well and uh and outpossessed other teams but uh the uh, results have been slipping away yeah it's a strange strange contrast and in a way, I'm I'm glad you're on the podcast this week, Steve, for a number of reasons, and we'll get to them as this this goes on. Most notably, that uh, you know you're the RNO sort of beat writer for Toronto FC and have some the press access to give us a little bit of insight from that. But I was in a way hoping Steve Perry was on because his whole mantra at the start of this year was, you know, we've put our chips on these great players who could all be gone for the World Cup, and when they're gone, we're going to get we're going to be in big trouble. But oddly enough. We had this incredible seven-game unbeaten run through that stretch, and once we kind of get everyone back that we're hoping for, uh, we get a result like this. Yeah, I think the depth the depth is actually uh, suddenly looking looking pretty good on the squad. You know, you if you you look at the starting eleven, and then you looked at the guys that were available uh, coming off the bench, and um, you know, and that's even with uh, a guy like Gilberto currently being 
being out with injury that uh you know suddenly this team this team's coming together and the, the roster itself is is looking quite good and uh you know i, I one thing that's out for me uh none of them were spectacular but i thought all three of the guys that came on um in the second half to try and sort of change the tide of the game i thought they all each brought something good to the good to the match and uh you know, I think there's there's definite options on on the bench as well as uh, the starting a lineup is is taking shape with the with the possession and the ball the ball movement being better. Yeah, I definitely think you know as much as we can you know, criticize or lament the loss and and always you know I mean we're Toronto FC supporters I think <laughs> nitpicking is something that we do very well but I think keeping in perspective you and I both know there's been years where even in the starting eleven you know you're just like good grief there, there's not a lot going on here. And especially on the bench, I can think of Ibi Ibrahim, for example, uh, a big someone that we would have to put in. And it's just, uh, I think now we're in a position, I think we can make substitutions and try, they're, they're stronger substitutions that can change up the dynamic of the game. You know, like a, an Aduro brings something completely different than a Bradley or, or a Jackson. And I think that's a nice problem to have and gives us at least something worthwhile to look forward to, I think, each week because we can depending on the opponent, really have a few players that can change up our approach. You look at the substitutions in, in previous games and, uh, you know, the substitutions yesterday, and there, there's quite a, a breadth of, like you said, different types of players. The Duro brought something different yesterday. Uh, you know, Lovitz is great at running at people, and, and I thought he was effective again yesterday, for, especially for a rookie. And Dario came on, and, and, and he obviously brings something different as a, as a guy who can play out wider, as a as a central midfielder who can, who can, who can pass the ball, you know, you've got D Rosario as that, as that venture veteran as well. And, uh, you know, one thing that I found was a little surprising and that maybe irked me a little bit, uh, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to come down on Ryan Nelson a little bit was, uh, was maybe that he didn't bring D Rosario in, into that game. You know, we know, we know from the past <laughs> when he was with other teams playing against TSC that he tends to, uh, to do well against his former teams. And, uh, you know, DC United was his uh, prior stop um, before coming back to Toronto, and uh, you know, I would have thought that it would have been worth the roll of the dice in the second half when no one seemed to be able to deliver that ball or you know get a real shot on target. Um, that you know he might have been been the man to do that. Yeah, and I I think uh, I want to touch on that as we go kind of through the game a little bit, but I wanted to start it off with you know the the two additions to this lineup and kind of looking into this game. Of course, Michael Bradley is the big name that uh, has returned to the team and what he means to that. And then, of course, the second one, which has a bit of an asterisk and a funny note next to it, is, of course, Luke Moore, who I think coming into this game, you know, I think we all would have said, geez, like, it's going to be interesting to see what Ryan Nelson comes up with because, you know, without Gilberto and without Luke Moore, you kind of have uh, uh, Jermaine Defoe up there alone on an island. But, of course, just a quick dig from last this week's game, you know, Soren Storka has... has earning a nice reputation of having his uh, cards rescinded. And of course that was the case as we all saw Luke Moore didn't deserve a straight red and uh, the league agreed. So we had him this weekend. Yeah. You know, and um, you know, say what you will about, about Luke Moore. There, there are certain times when I forget that he's out there. Um, he doesn't seem to be influencing the game that much, but I, you know, I think he's up to four to four goals right now. And um I think he knows his role well when it comes to playing with uh, with Jermaine Defoe. He knows that it's a complimentary one, and uh, you know he's using his his movement off of the ball to try and 
you know, move defenders around and, and open up space for, for Defoe. So, uh, you know, I think he's become a good, uh, a good complimentary piece for the team. And, you know, with, with four goals that I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that makes him the second highest, uh, goal scorer on the squad. So, uh, you know, a good thing to get that card rescinded. It was, uh, a ludicrous call in the last game that, uh, likely, uh, in that case, it wasn't really TFC dropping the points. It was, uh, the referee probably dropping two points for them. Yeah, and that's not the first time that uh, Soren Stoika has given us that pleasure. But one thing, you know, one thing I wanted to know, because you, you bring up a good point there, Steve, with, of course, the combination between Defoe and Luke Moore. And, you know, I can't help. We, we kind of, Aaron, uh, Aaron Nielsen and I talked about last week, and I kind of can't help but, like, add that other dig where we're seeing this, this uh, strike partnership work out. And, of course, you have Gilberto where it hasn't quite clicked and sort of, like, what kind of expectations we should have in this league for forwards. And, you know, if you look at Defoe and uh, Luke Moore, you know, you could draw a bit of a comparison or parallel to the Red Bulls with Thierry Henry and the guys that they paired him up with. And of course, you have Bradley Wright Phillips, who's completely on fire this season, who is a championship League One player. And before that, it was uh, Luke Rogers, uh, two guys who played in lower divisions. And there just seems to be something that can be said about players will play up to their the quality of their teammates. And maybe there's something to be said in looking into you know, you don't have to put all your eggs in one basket in terms of having two DP strikers. Anyway, something to think about. But I wanted to get also into this the starting lineup. Uh, there's two things I wanted to note, of course, that obviously is something to chew on, is of course we have Nick Haglund starting again. And of course the midfield, which had the return of uh, Michael Bradley, and we saw Bradley Warner, Bradley Orr, and Jackson, which I thought was interesting. But of course it's up to Ryan Nelson to decide who he wants out there, which left... Uh, Jonathan Osorio, Dominic Oduro, and Di Rosario on the bench. And off the top, you know, I thought if there's one precedent or, or sort of one pattern that I'm at least happy with is that Toronto seems to always start the games really brightly and control possession and get some chances going in the in the first 20 to 30 minutes. I think now it just comes down to they got to find a way to score in that opening third of the game. Yeah, I, I you know, I one thing that I I noted early on was it seemed like. Um, you know, when you just mentioned uh, raising their game to the to the level of a superstar on the team, whether it's Terry Henry or, or Jermaine Defoe, you know, I think maybe there's a synergy there between Luke Moore and uh, and Defoe that comes from English football. But certainly yesterday, um, I I don't think the rest of the team actually uh, they came out with energy and and uh, and and moved the ball well, but it was a little bit like um, an, an entire team of of Chad Barrett's in the sense that. Uh, you know, there was no final finish, and you know, as we knew, they had they had trouble scoring, and then got bitten by DC. Um, you know, kind of as a result of, of not you know breaking the game open. Um, it, it, Defoe was great again, and uh, you know, he laid off a lot of balls for for different players, whether it was Jackson scuffing one in, into the side of the net or Bradley, you know, shooting high and and not or you know showing a bad touch on one play when he should have really really tested the keepers. So they came out with energy and they, again, like over these last three games, they've really, you know, moved the ball well, which, which you would think suggests that the, the chemistry is building, at least in terms of fullbacks getting familiar with the wide players and uh, the midfielders getting more familiar with, uh, with the forwards and, and whatnot. But, uh, but certainly uh, it was a bit hapless just in that final ball and that final shot. Yeah. I think my, one of my early observations or one of my early thoughts was I started wondering you know, with the return of Michael Bradley, I just think 
they still look good, obviously, in, in the first half, and they had tons of possession. But to me, it just didn't seem quite as... I really thought that New York Red Bulls game, they looked really dynamic in the first third of the game. And I was like really encouraged about how they took it to the Red Bulls uh, away. And uh, again, at home, you I think you would have expected at least that same level, uh, if not a bit more. And, and we didn't see it. And I started wondering myself, I wonder if this team, maybe when Michael Bradley is on the pitch along with Defoe, if they kind of, maybe some of the guys like lay back and realize, you know what, like Michael Bradley can do it all. So maybe we'll just let him do yeah. it all. You know, maybe, maybe uh, you know, I don't need to worry about this and that because Bradley will gobble it up or I just need to get it to Michael Bradley and he'll find a great pass. I think maybe, and also what I'm also thinking too is it is the first game back. I think this team might need uh, to get another game or two in to get, you know, back in fifth gear with this, with our ideal starting 11. Yeah, I mean, well, with Bradley starting after just, I don't know how long he was back in Toronto, but obviously, you know, it was a crazy week and uh, he played a lot of games in the heat and then, you know, had that long, long flight. I'm sure it wasn't a direct one. You know, personally, I think it was a, it was a mistake to, uh, to start him in this game. They played well in the last two games without him and I think they probably could have, could have gone another and, and delivered a good performance without him. And, you know, he looked sluggish and he looked, he looked like a guy who wanted to get right back on the pitch after the disappointment of exiting the World Cup, but uh, you know it, it was certainly far from his uh, from his best performance as a TFC player. Yeah, and I think the one thing to add to that too is we saw Toronto start out at least from the kickoff. It looked like they wanted to play this sort of four-two-three-one, uh, and at times uh, Bradley was, was when the DC was in possession. I mean, he was very high up. He was the guy pressuring the ball and we were reverting back to a four, four, two, but with Bradley and Defoe as the two guys up top. And we saw that when Toronto was in possession, you know, Bradley was high up. And as the game advanced, it was almost like he reverted back into that role from before, almost going back into what's easy of him tracking all, whenever Bendick had the ball, you'll see that he'll track all the way back to our 18-yard box to kind of pick it up and and start the play with Bradley. And he'll, you know, distribute it out to the left to Haglin or out to the right to Caldwell. And I think that might say something to Nelson may have been a bit too ambitious to start the game with a new look. And as well as, yeah, you're saying, you know, the team might not have been ready for it as well as Bradley because they did, as the game progressed, kind of slip back into their uh, comfortable formation and what they knew better. Yeah, Nelson commented that on that uh, at his post-game press conference, and um, he admitted they tried something different. And uh, you know, I think we we've all been expecting something of that look ever since uh, the team acquired uh, Colin Warner, someone that would be able to sort of sit further back and allow them to uh, to push Bradley forward. And they certainly did it in a very conservative way with Warner and uh, and Bradley Orr both starting as central midfielders, both kind of you know stay back type of guys, and and just sort of allowing um, Bradley to sort of uh, play a free man role and, and press and, and uh, get more involved in the offense. Uh, interestingly, uh, Nelson did admit that uh, it didn't really work out. <laughs> and he, he also, it wasn't, I don't think it was the team slipping back into their comfort zone. I think that was a tactical decision. He mentioned on his part that they, uh, when they changed things up in the second half, they went back to more of their, uh, their traditional shape and formation. Yeah, I think that's fair because I wanted to, you know, the first half we kind of, we haven't gone over it minute for minute, but we did touch on some things, you know, like you said, the 20th minute, we saw that great uh, release on Defoe where he almost had a chance on goal. You know, 33rd minute, he laid off a great chance there where he picked up the ball and kind of 
slalomed and shimmied and laid it off for Bradley. And even though we went in the half at nil-nil, you know, we come into the second half and I think if, you know, as you note it, and as I probably think about it harder, yes, that's I think when we saw things kind of go back to the way they were. And if we get into that first goal, I think it was around the 53rd minute. And, you know, not to pick on Nick Haglin, I don't think this was his best outing. Uh, I think he had a couple... A little bit of a shaky game, and of course, it was highlighted in this because this is a play where you saw where they, where the two center backs push out wide. Bradley kind of lays in the middle, and maybe this is this is what happens in this formation, where teams can start taking note that when Toronto pushes out wide to the flanks and Haglin, you, if you put high pressure on him, you might be able to strip the ball and get a chance on goal, and that's exactly what we saw. And it was really a bit of a you know a dog's breakfast watching that play unravel because they just they just didn't look good on it at all. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I don't know if it was a come come back to earth performance for him. I thought he had some some nice clearances and and, and did some nice things as, as well. Um, not his best game, but uh, you know he's a rookie, and as we've seen with uh, Daniel Henry at twenty twenty one years old, these it's a tough position, and they're going to have their good games, and they're going to they're going to have their um, you know challenging outings. And uh, he unfortunately had one yesterday, but uh, uh, you know I think he'll. He'll bounce back. It obviously won't be the next game with the with the sending off. But also, I also thought that uh, you know whenever DC pushed forward, maybe he was a little bit too isolated. It seemed like uh, with the attack, maybe Bloom and uh, and Morrow especially were really really pushing forward in this game even more than they usually do. And usually, you know, Nelson seems to prefer that more almost more of a of a flat back line and and uh, and whatnot. So you know, real different just TFC trying some different, different things in this game. And it obviously hurt them, you know, whether you give credit to, uh, to DC or, um, or put in perspective for TFC, DC had, had two shots on goal yeah. the whole game and they, and, 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 and they scored on both of them. So, uh, whereas Toronto Janet really dominated the right of play. So it's, uh, it's football. It's these things happen. Yeah. And it's, it, you, you put out that stat and it's interesting to think about it. I mean, not to curse anything or do anything. I'll knock on wood, but you know, you, I remember, and I'm sure you do to the start of that 2012 season where, you know, we would dominate possession. We would get tons of chances on goals and then Columbus would only need one counterattack to score. Or San Jose only needed three shots on goal to beat us three nil. It was just like, you know, you're kind of damned if you're due, damned if you don't from a supporter's perspective of what you want this team to be. But I think to keep it in perspective, now, certainly, we've already highlighted this. This is a this team is 180 from those teams, and I think I know. I think you take this, this game as just a learning experience, and I think if you you know to stay maybe a little bit on the Hagland you know on the Hagland uh, topic there, you know I'm I'm definitely pro Daniel Henry. I haven't really made that a, a secret, but I I think to kind of keep myself in check, I have to say the same things I say about Henry as as about Hagland is that uh, you know he he needs to have these bad games to learn from. And uh, it'll happen. And I think the one thing I'll, I'll praise Hagelin about is he's shown to be pretty diverse and flexible. And I think that's something I'd like to keep seeing is that, you know, I prefer to see Daniel Henry start. You described that situation where, you know, he was isolated and beat. And the one thing I will say in Henry's favor is, I mean, in open field, I don't think there's too many people who can outrun him. I think once Henry gets a few steps going, he can, he can run with the best guys in the league. And I, I just hope uh, through the year, that everyone kind of stays patient and allows both those guys to get the minutes that they need to take their game to the next level. Guys both have uh, have great futures ahead of them. I think um, tough game for Hagland again, but I think he was a a great pickup. And again, I think that highlights another another difference for uh, 
for TFC this year. You you know, you look at in past years with draft picks and whatnot, they haven't always penned out, but uh, you know, with Hackland and uh and Dan Levitz, I think we both got two guys who could be uh you know, useful and productive players for, for years to come. You know Levitz has, has his rookie rookie moments as well and yet hasn't been been perfect, but he's sure I think he's also showed showed more much more good than, than bad. Yeah, and I think just to kind of touch on, you know, one of our our writers, you know, Aaron Nielsen makes really good points about how, you know, the NCAA gets a lot of knocks, but I he he writes a point that I I think about a lot, especially when I see guys like Dan Lovitz or Nick Hagland, and he's you know, there's a lot of guys who come into the MLS draft where really all it is is they just need they just need a team to be committed to them, to give them a chance and allow them to play games, and a lot of times that just doesn't happen, or they might get one or two games and they they don't play well, and that's the end of it. And I think you'll find if if more teams you know, there's, there was a lot of guys at center back in this year's draft that probably if Toronto was willing to give them the same chance as Hanglin, I think we could be talking about three or four other guys as well. Um, but they aren't on a team that's willing to do that for them. So you don't hear about them as much. And I think that's, you know, one thing I guess I would give Toronto see a little bit of props for this year is that they pick two guys. And I think that shows that maybe there is a little bit better talent in the NCAA than we give credit for. And if you allow these guys to show their strengths, uh, you might get paid back. And of course, we've seen from Dan Lovitz is he's an excellent set piece taker. And that's, you know, he might not be, he might have a bit of a heavy touch at times, but when we're, when we're pushing deep and we're creating chances in the final third, I think he's probably our best guy standing over a ball, either on the corner or, or somewhere within 30 yards. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you. And, um, you know, I think TFC deserves some credit for, uh, for their dedication to those two guys. And, um, you know, you can, you can put in Henry there as well. I know some people are, I know Kurt Larson. <laughs> In particular, thinks that uh, they probably should have brought in another veteran center back to start um, for TFC this year. But uh, you know, I think that some, there's something to be said by the, for the fact that they, they brought in a, an experienced guy like Bradley Orr, and he's you know barely played a, a sniff of minutes on the back line. He's all been playing as a uh, as a midfielder, and he had one uh, beautiful setup with um, I believe it was either Moore or Jackson in that game before he was subbed off at halftime. So. Uh, just want to give a shout out to Bradley Orr. I thought he did a good job in the first half, even even though he was the sacrificial lamb for the sort of tactical change in the second half. Yeah, I know he listens to his podcast every week, so he'll pick up that shout out, Steve, for sure. Um, <laughs> but if you know, if I wanted to run through, I kind of, I mean, there's not much to. I really want to extrapolate because we've really picked apart a lot of different players and details of this game. I mean, we know how this is going to roll out. I mean, Toronto finally leveled the game at at the 60th minute which was encouraging to see, you know, any play I think where Defoe is involved in kind of, it makes me happy just because it just reaffirms that we, we made a good buy, which is not, you know, necessarily the history of this club and, and how good and how he's not really known as a link up player, but I'll give him a lot of credit this year that he's, he's shown that a bit more, you know, he's set up Luke Moore and he's passed it off and laid it off to Bradley and to Jackson. And we had this good chance where Moore came in and poked it home. But it wasn't for it didn't last long because of course we saw and it was really a really tough one to swallow because on that corner where DC took the lead, I'm not mistaken, it looked like there may have been only there may have been six or seven red shirts in the 18 yard box and only three it, it, around the six yard. I mean, we, we outnumbered them and uh, DC found a way. I think it was Perry Kitchen to, to head that in. And that was frustrating to see him split Nick Hagland and Steve Caldwell. Yeah, it was the, it kind of came, came out of, out of nowhere. And, uh, 
you know, I think when Luke Luke Moore scored, there was a, a definite feeling that you know this was going to this was going to be our game that we we dominated the matchup until that point. Now now the team had tied things up, and uh, and there was still time to to sort of get that that go ahead goal and sort of seal the the three points at home as you would have expected against uh, you know DC United. You know, definitely a disappointing goal, and we you know that if there's one sort of disappointing part, it's well, the team overall has looked organized and and uh, you know defensively solid um, this year. We're still seeing you know defensive breakdowns like that. Like uh, they shouldn't have been able to, to score that goal. Um, you know, with those those two guys out there, I don't know if uh, you know Henry Henry if Henry is out there and you know jumps them or or whatnot. But that's probably uh, probably wishful wishful thinking. I think that's uh, you know a ball that uh, Caldwell probably should have cleared. Yeah, and if we, the kind of the last play I want to talk about that game and, and of course, link up with the discussion we had earlier. You know, it's, uh, it's sometimes it's just really tough sometimes to watch through these games. This one wasn't as bad, but of course, it was a really bizarre call on uh, the Hagelin yellow slash red. Yeah, we're pretty, pretty liberal with our criticism of the league. And certainly the refereeing is a big one. And it's one that really sticks in my, uh, in my craw where. You know, the league has this mandate and they like to talk how they're going to be a top league in the world and this and that. But then, you know, I, 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 the, the players are getting better. You're seeing this really, some really nice South American and Central American talent coming in that makes the game more exciting. But the refereeing, I think, is far, far below how this league has been taking leaps and bounds. And I don't know if you say the refereeing is getting worse or it's just staying where it's always been. You know, Stoika has obviously won who is just, I just can't think of a game where I've ever seen him ref where it's brutal. And then you have this call where it's just the referee didn't have the confidence. I got to be fair. I mean, I didn't see anyone else close. So, I mean, to give him a yellow, I, I mean, I'm saying this against Toronto, that it to me it was clearly a red right on the hop. And, and he calls the yellow and it's just like, you know, the referees just need to be a little more comfortable, I think, and confident in themselves to make the correct call as it happens. And I'm not really sure, you know, maybe we need to speak to Tony Evangelista or something and get his input on what he thinks of like what it is in a referee's uh, mentality that he thinks why they keep getting calls wrong in the moment. Yeah. I mean, t- to be fair, we've seen calls go against TFC incorrectly. And, and yesterday it looked like they were actually going to, to get away with one. That was the, the first thing I, you know, I said to the person sitting next to me was, Whoa, you know, Haglund is, is really lucky there. He was the uh, he was the last man back, and uh, you know you could easily have gotten a red. <laughs> and lo and behold, after uh, what felt like about two three minutes of discussion, then suddenly the young lad was uh, was sent off. No doubt that uh, uh, the officiating just isn't isn't where it needs to be. I've written about Stoika, and uh, <laughs> certainly not not a fan. And uh, everyone, it's the easiest thing to do is uh, is make fun of not make fun of the referees, but uh, criticize the referees. And I don't usually do it, but this year in particular, it really has, has stood out just how poor they are. Our other favorite Baltimore, Mero Toledo is, is, is just an, an atrocious referee. The early observation I made it, it, that, that makes it even more crystal clear is at the beginning of this season, you know, they had, they had the, the pro <laughs> referees uh, on strike and we had referees coming in from uh you know, other places and handling the earlier games of the season. And I thought those were the, you know, the best referee matches of, of, of the year so far. Like there are games where uh, players played and, and the referees didn't stand out. You know, it's, it's rare recently with, with uh, at least with TFC games that you, you don't notice the referee or 
that there isn't a talking point related to the to the referee. So the the league clearly needs to get better in in that regard. And uh, you know, I think um, I think there's probably a few guys that aren't aren't up to this level. Yeah, and for me, it's just really frustrating. As you know, we've obviously been following this league extremely closely since 2007 and seeing how much the league has evolved. And for MLS to just put and teams to put so much money into you know, signing players and they're doing all this, you know, new DPs and more money being spent on the on the quality and the talent of the of the players in this league, you would think they'd have enough sense to elevate everything else with it, you know, especially the refereeing. And I think that's something that a lot of people leave games from just just bitching and moaning about that. And on a side note, even I would even say referees and coaching could be something I think the league could take a look at maybe investing in, you know, not every team, but you know, what, what would be said if, if a really high level coach came to MLS, I think you might see a little bit more long-term benefit from that than necessarily signing someone like 30 plus year old DP, who's going to be here for three or four years and, and then call it a day. But Steve, you know, the one reason definitely why I'm happier on this podcast, of course, you can get, can maybe give us a little bit of dirt and a little bit of insight and what happens when the game's over and things specifically that were said between the players and their thoughts on this game. I'm wondering if you could kind of just lay out the, the press conference and anything that the players were saying or their thoughts after this game, you know, how they put this game in perspective. Um, well, I'll start with Nelson, with Nelson's press conference. He was a little bit perturbed with, uh, with the way the call went with, with Nick Haugland and, you know, he's had uh, his, um, questions about the the officiating in the past but he, he was pretty subdued on that topic today uh the one thing that was interesting with uh with nelson's press conference was actually how how long it, it it took to actually occur so um you know we were all waiting for a long long time before uh he actually came in so uh, i i can imagine that that uh the manner in which tfc gave up those two goals that uh that he really laid into the into the players after that game and thus delaying his uh media responsibilities because I think that was probably the longest that we've waited for him uh, maybe in his whole duration with the team it was really just we're sitting there for ages um as will happen when you're um you know when you're waiting for the coach that long by the time we got to the uh changing room after the fact there were a lot of guys that had already left and and were gone I didn't stick around to uh to do all of the scrums Stephen Caldwell basically uh always always stands up and, and and meets the media and uh you know his basic message after the match was uh it, it wasn't good enough we have to be better but uh the, the team is immediately putting it behind them and and they're already uh on to the next game interesting and you know what if if i could just we kind of we kind of touched on this but i wanted to get again sort of circle back to something that you talked about earlier that i agreed with and i think if there was maybe one criticism to level at uh, Ryan Nelson midweek, especially coming into this home game that I looked at was, you know, we saw in the Chicago game, he didn't make a substitution, I think until the 85th or 86th minute. And that was the only one he made game three or four days later. I thought that was kind of peculiar. And of course, in this game, this match, I thought was maybe crying out at points, whether out of the, out of the beginning, like you're saying, if, if uh, Michael Bradley had been given a rest and maybe coming in as a sub, but maybe for just a little more X factor, a little more creativity. And of course, what I'm hinting at is, is Di Rosario and, and what that situation is. And I don't know, I guess you're saying most people cleared out and I'm sure considering Di Rosario didn't see a minute, he may not have needed to shower. So you certainly <laughs> didn't get see him, but I don't know if there's any sense you've gotten from him 
in the last month or so because he's seen such limited minutes. And I had a little back and not really back and forth, but during the last game, I kind of made a point saying, am I the only one who wonders why? Because I'm not a huge Jackson fan, I got to be honest. And I'm kind of wondering, like, what is the situation where even in one game, De Rosario is not getting a chance in his place? Uh, because I think he just, you know, I know he's not, he's getting older and all that, but I still think he can pass a ball. As we saw in the home opener, I think it was against DC, we know he can still break free and get a chance on goal. I don't know. I just think it's something that uh, I'm finding a bit curious that, uh, you know, we brought this guy in and he obviously has, obviously has some attributes that I think could be a benefit, but he's uh, kind of just sitting on the bench. Yeah, it's a big question for me. I think he's certainly been underutilized this year. And I, you know, I was calling for him in the second half to when they, you know, they were looking kind of, you know, struggling in the, uh, with their finish and their, their final ball. And he's a guy who can both deliver a pass and, uh, and deliver deliver a shot on target and, and test keeper and, and score a goal. So um, you know, I, I don't know I don't know what the deal is. I the one I can speculate on it um, and and tie it into what Nelson said. He was asked about that. He was asked that very fact that uh, you know Dero plays well against his his, uh, his former clubs and had he considered at all bringing Dero in in the second half. And Nelson sort of deflected it by saying that um, he brought it. He brought in each of the guys that he did for a very uh, tactical reason. Um, he thought Aduro came in and ran at people with pace and, and caused issues. He thought uh, Lovitz did the same thing. Sario certainly came in there to maybe give a little bit more of a playmaking presence and more of, a, of an attacking threat than the midfield had when it started with um, Colin Warner and, uh, and Bradley Orr back there. So, you know, in some way you can you can see that, but I think in his answer there's a little bit of a kernel of uh, you know maybe why Dero is not playing as much, and it, it really could just come down to pace at this point. You know, we do see Jackson starting every game in which he's healthy, and uh, you know Adiro has certainly seen plenty of min- minutes since he's been there, and uh, Astorio and um, and Dan Levitt both have young legs, so it could just be a matter of uh, you know he wants pace out there for the for the fast break and and whatnot and, and hitting on hitting on the counterattack. but speak too much about Dero I think he's being being underutilized and I'd, I'd like to see him get get more of a chance because I think he can really even if he's not you know up for playing 90 minutes week in week out at this point in his career I think he can still be a big uh, impact player off of the team off the bench and I think he's actually shown that in his in his appearances so far I mean it's strange that he sort of saw more appearances at the beginning of the season when uh, when they were playing on uh, you know a terrible pitch due to the the, the late spring. So it'd be an interesting story to watch with Dero see what's coming. Um, as you suggested, he uh, I don't know if he needed to shower, but he was gone by the time Nelson's press conference ended, so there was no no um, no chance to speak with him. But um, I have spoken to him several times recently and after games, and um, there's certainly uh, none of him, you know, stepping out of line and, uh, you know, questioning the coach or um, talking about how he should be playing more. Yeah, interesting. I think that's something that I, I would like to keep watching because, you know, I, I'm, I'm sitting on the fence and maybe I'm just playing devil's advocate because everything that you laid there out there to me made perfect sense in terms of, you know, wanting younger legs and this and that and the attributes that each guy brings, which I totally agree with. However, at the same time, I mean... Yeah, if you say, you know, you like Oduro because he runs up players, we know that Di Rosario runs up players. 
You have Dan Lovitz, who has a, a nice left foot and can deliver a cross and deliver a set piece. We know the same thing about Di Rosario. I mean, it's really, I guess it's just coming down to preference, and I, I can't argue with that. I'm just, of course, wondering, you know, something can be said about experience, and, and that's something that he obviously brings to the table. So who knows? Maybe we'll see minutes from him. Maybe we won't. You know, I, I think we, we touched on things. But last thing I want to talk about, of course, was putting the result in perspective, but also, I guess, looking at the games ahead, as well as looking at... Um, the, where Toronto's sitting in the table. And to keep it in perspective, even though we lose this game, of course, everyone in the league uh, you know, played through this last week. So Toronto still has games in hand. And uh, you know, if they win their next three and, and get level with DC, who's now sitting in first, Toronto moves ahead. So when you look at the next, uh, you know, the next month and the games that Toronto has on tap, I still think it's encouraging to see that, you know, you're looking at teams like uh, two games against Houston, a home game against Vancouver, a home game against Kansas City. We still have a lot of potential to, to climb up that table and really establish ourselves uh, closer to the top than near the bottom, which we haven't seen very much in the last seven years. Yeah, I mean, it's right to put in perspective and uh, they've been playing well. Um, they've been doing good things. It certainly hasn't been like years past or anything like that. If you put it, if you compare it to to the way the team played in in previous years, and and they're right in the thick of things. The one thing that concerns me is the is is the fact that it's another loss at home, and um, you've got to win your win your home games, and they've been anything but uh, but unbeatable at home this year. So uh, I think these next two games are re- are really going to uh, going to say something about um, you know how how this team is going to sort of play down the stretch and. And it's leading into a, hopefully a, a team's first playoff um, clinching. You know, the next two games will be interesting because we know Vancouver is a good team, and uh, they they went they won this weekend, so they might be getting back on track after looking a little bit of out of sorts after the uh, the World Cup break. And uh, any Houston team always a uh, you know a challenge whether you're whether you're playing at home or or on the roads. You know, they they've dropped points here here and there, and. The one against Chicago, you can certainly put that down to the to the referee and really credit them for 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 churning out a point. But the uh, the New York one and and this game uh, against DC United were certainly uh, you know drop points in in my book. And uh, as we know, results results are all that matter. So they need to start translating um, dominating dominating runs of play into uh, into tangible results. Yeah, I think I, I think too. If we want to have a a real conversation about how far this team's coming, and of course. You know, you get the message from the front office that this year is about the playoffs and Tim Lewicki's, you know, with his statement, why can't we be great? Uh, like you said, the home form, I think, is the biggest statement that says that. And you see the teams that make it far in the playoffs are teams that win their home games and they can tie their road games. And I think Toronto's road form has been really good this year. And of course, at home, they have been beatable. So I think that is something to watch. And especially when they have Houston coming in next week. I mean, this is the game. That if they if they don't pull this off, I'm gonna you know you might have to say a few words because you, I'm looking at this Houston team, Steve. I mean, check this out. Their their goal difference is negative sixteen. Negative sixteen. Yeah. You heard that right. They've allowed thirty four goals this year. They've lost ten games. I mean, this is this is probably the 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 worst Houston Dynamo since. What am I thinking back to? Two thousand and ten. I think they had a really terrible year. You know, it's an opportunity. And uh, I think every home game is obviously an opportunity, but this is the big one. So uh, one thing is tough is when you're, ta- you're taking an opponent who's kind of like a wounded animal, but geez, if they don't come out of there big, then um, we got to take a look at the way this team is set up and hopefully they can correct it quickly. I, I think um, 
like I said, uh, they they got a yelling at after the game, and um, I'm sure they'll be worked hard in in training this week. So that game is definitely the definitely the the one to watch. If they if they drop that one at home, then uh, you know it's a warning sign. If uh, they come out and you know win it two nothing or three one or something like that, then I think we can just look at the, this DC United loss as a as the type of blip that happens in a long season. Yeah. So, Steve, on that note, I think we're going to wind it out. We're getting to that that mark that I try to avoid one half of football. So we're, we're just on that. Thanks a lot for uh, helping me out here when <laughs> the, the regulars kind of, uh, I, I lose touch with them or they have things to do. Uh, it's good at least to get, and also your perspective from the change room. So, Steve, you are at BotcherRNO on Twitter. That's correct. So people can yep. find you there. You're always you always got TFC covered and all that interviews whatnot. So that's how we can find you. And you know what? Just one quick out point for anyone who's listening, of course, of Toronto FC supporters is we have two uh, international uh, games coming up, so to speak, the Women's World Cup, as well as uh, Canada's playing Jamaica. And I urge any people here who are obviously listening to this podcast, they're Toronto FC supporters, and a good chance they're in Toronto. If you don't have tickets to those games yet, uh, you know the women draw really well. I'm not as concerned as them as I am for the men's team. So take a look at those games and, and come out and start building something good for this uh, for, our, for our international teams to make sure that every time we play at home, uh, it's definitely a home field advantage. So on that note, Steve, we will be back uh, next weekend. Uh, Houston, I'm hoping for something bigger and better than what we saw. Thanks again, Steve, for helping me out and coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, all right, and we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Eastside Stand-Up is the only Toronto specific podcast breaking down the game right after it happens. We want you to get involved. Reach out to us on Twitter at RedNationOnline or on email at info at rednationonline.ca and share your thoughts on how the Reds did on the pitch today. As well, check out our other podcasts on rednationonline.ca from the Black Hole and the Gaffer and Hooligan, giving you all the coverage you want on Canadian soccer. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Better crowd amazing. than I expected too. It was amazing, but you know what? I have one at the end of the thing. My one sight and sound is it was it in the first half. It was a morgue. Yeah, I guess by the end it filled up, but uh, that's what happens when you uh, when you have to schedule a match on the same day as uh, 
a World Cup match that went to a shootout. So. Could you hear that one play in the first half when Davy Arnault was going, fucking pass the ball? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I guess it I guess I was, I guess I was too high up. But, uh, <laughs> it was kind of funny. I'm like, wow, because I hear this guy just going, "Hey, hey!" And I'm I'm looking around, me like, "Is that someone in the crowd?" And then you see, and then I hear, "Fucking pass the ball!" And then I'm like, "Oh shit!" It was number eight. <laughs>